0: You're listening to the JTD Coaches Me podcast with your host, Joanne Tierney Daniels. Tune in as Joanne chronicles her journey from imposter to empowerment. Joanne discusses real life with real people. You'll be captivated by her guests and their stories. Regardless of whether you leave laughing or crying, one thing is certain, each episode will make you think about life from a different perspective. Listen in and join the journey as Joanne and her guests explore the best strategies to promote personal growth. Find your authentic self and live your best life. Hi, I'm Joanne
1: Tierney-Daniels, a life mindset and relationship coach and the host of the JTD Coaches Me podcast. My topics today are multifaceted. I'm going to touch on imposter syndrome, self-sabotage, and the physical and emotional tolls of high-functioning anxiety. Imposter syndrome is an internal belief that you aren't as competent as others perceive you to be. Put simply, you feel like a fraud, and at any moment, you could be exposed for who you truly are. This may be true despite your experience, education, or knowledge. Those afflicted are often filled with self-doubt and may attribute their success to luck or some other external factor. Although imposter syndrome may motivate some people to work harder, it causes others to self-sabotage and derail their own success. Imposter syndrome impacts high achievers who tend to focus on what they haven't accomplished as opposed to what they have done. Often in these instances, high achievers procrastinate. Procrastination and perfectionism are close allies. Many people subconsciously believe if you can't do something perfectly, why do it at all? High-functioning anxiety is a complex condition. On the surface, most battling with high-functioning anxiety appear to be successful and in command. However, inside, they're battling a frenetic energy. Sometimes they don't even recognize it themselves. I'm not going to delve too much into this topic alone. In a moment, I'm going to be joined by a special guest, an expert on this subject. So I'm going to pass the torch to her shortly. But before I do, I want to tell you a little bit more about my guest, Heather Ryder. Heather is an anxiety coach and imposter syndrome educator who personally overcame high-functioning anxiety and imposter syndrome, while working in a demanding high-tech position. Now, Heather has an international client base and helps people all around the globe with her signature programming, which takes a non-traditional holistic approach to healing anxiety. She's in high demand and regularly writes and presents on perfectionism, imposter syndrome, and anxiety-related topics. So we're extremely lucky to have Heather here with us today. Welcome to the program, Heather.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I love talking about these topics that we're going to dive into today.
1: Great. So we have a lot of ground to cover. So so let's get started. Please tell us more about you, how you got started and your path from the world of high tech to an anxiety coach.
2: Yeah, it was a rough ride there for a while. So, I was struggling with high functioning anxiety for probably about 10 years looking back. I didn't know that I had high functioning anxiety. I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't know that it had a name. I'm not even sure what I thought anxiety looked like, but I definitely didn't think that I had it. I mean, I probably thought, oh, somebody with anxiety, you know, is having panic attacks. They are not able to really cope in the world. If you look at them, they would look shaky. I mean, it would be obvious, right? And so that wasn't me. And so I just thought I was stressed out all of the time. And a lot of things you just said in your introduction, I mean, that fit me to a T, extremely goal-oriented, high-achieving, did not know how much I struggled with perfectionism, and high functioning anxiety, unfortunately, can really drive people to succeed. It's just this weird anomaly where it actually makes people extremely successful because they have this compulsion to work hard and do better. And just like you said, you know, a focus on what you haven't done, <laughs> not on what you have done successfully, but all the things that you're perceiving that you haven't done. And my mind was just a constant racing mess. I mean, I was outwardly looked very calm to people, but on the inside, it was like my mind was a hamster wheel is the best way to describe it. I was thinking about the past, chronically ruminating or worried about the future. And I would make all sorts of contingency plans for things that might possibly happen. It was like a mental chess game in my mind. And it was a really you know, huge struggle for so many years. And then within that struggle of high-functioning anxiety, I had a couple of bouts of imposter syndrome, but it was the second time around that really, really led me into feeling extremely vulnerable at work, like I was in a movie that was my own life. And it was this bizarre sensation that I had at work one day where I did literally feel like I was in a movie. It was like almost an out-of-body experience that led me to do an internet search. I don't know what words I searched on, but I came back with a result for imposter syndrome. And then I read that and thought, oh, my gosh, this is what I have. This is what I'm struggling with. And I know we're going to dive more into perhaps my story in relation to how we can help people. But I immediately got a coach to help me overcome imposter syndrome because I knew it was really holding me back. I still didn't know that I had high-functioning anxiety, though. And I actually didn't discover that I had high-functioning anxiety until I didn't have it anymore, which really kind of blows people's minds when I say that Um, I don't have anxiety at all anymore. And it was after I recovered and healed from that, that in retrospect, I realized not only did I have anxiety, but that it was high functioning anxiety in particular.
1: I find that very striking as well, that you didn't know that you have it. I mean, what are some symptoms or, or that people can learn to recognize in themselves of high fun-
2: functioning anxiety? I gave some clues when I was talking. So I used to hear from people, oh, Heather, you're so calm. You're so laid back. And I would think, what are they talking about? Because I thought that I looked outwardly like I felt on the inside. I thought that I looked spastic, honestly, to people. I thought that people were like, God, she's so wacky, you know, because I felt (laughs) like I was just like all the time. (laughs) Like I was, you know, somebody turned up this jittery dial and that was me. I thought that I was annoying to people. And so that is a sign that if people are telling you, you're really calm and on the inside, you're going, wait a minute, what? I don't understand how people are perceiving me that way. And then high functioning anxiety folks, I mean, they are dependable, they're reliable. They're the ones who get things done. I mean, I was great at my job. I used to hear, even when I was back in school, You know, I used to hear how good I did everything. It was like every piece of work that I produced was stellar, but what I was doing is I would check things and revise things and edit them over and over and over. I mean, to the point of like, It's a massive law of diminishing return, right? It's just like beyond, oh, dotting your I's and crossing your T's. I mean, I would spend inordinate amounts of time checking and revising things because I didn't want to make a mistake, but I also wanted to make sure they were quote unquote perfect, like everything that I was doing, And this wasn't just at work. This was also in my life. I mean, when my kids were little, I can't looking back, I cannot believe how clean my house was. I was literally doing the equivalent of cleaning your bathroom floor with a toothbrush. I probably would have done that. So it was like everything in my life all of the time had to be perfect. And Those are cues to people. It's like if you're feeling on the inside, like your behavior to be perfect is compulsive and you're getting cues from people that they think you're calm. Those are some pretty good indicators that you might have high functioning anxiety.
1: In your case, you finally realized it when you had an autoimmune reaction that was the catalyst prompting your wellness journey. And sometimes our physical bodies tell us what we need before we realize it cognitively. You didn't recognize your need for emotional healing until you began to heal your body. You know, I had a similar wellness journey. I had a weight management issue. And until I lost the weight, I didn't realize my healing was incomplete. And as I'm sure you know, weight's really a a symptomatic of, of what the weight you're carrying in your mind. You know, what are your thoughts on the connection between our physical and emotional selves?
2: Yeah that's such a great question and yeah for those who are listening I it was my path to healing was actually that I got very sick which is what you just mentioned and so when we're operating under stress hormones for a really long time you know there's adrenaline and there's cortisol and cortisol is what's going to happen if you have prolonged stress not that you know spike you get from adrenaline if there's something that's like massive that happens in in a moment but when your body is in that elevated stress response it's your nervous system gets fried out, which is what happened to me. And so it is really interesting that when I, you know, I got really sick and I, I did try Western medicine, by the way, a couple doctors, I went to them and they were not being helpful because I was doing a lot of research on my own. And I was like, they just wanted to put me on antibiotics because of some ways that the illness was manifesting itself. And I was like, you know, screw you guys. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. listen, you're not helping me. Like you're not understanding how sick I am. And so really when I started to sort of break old patterns, I was willing to try really different things that I had never done before. That was like a, you know, I guess a trigger in a good way of me changing my belief system because it was like, oh, that doesn't work over there. I'm going to try this. And I was willing to try things that I had never tried before. And some of those things were journaling, for example, I would write down these affirmations that I would hear that to me were really powerful. And, you know, I think I'm very spiritual now. I wasn't at the time, but it's like I was led to specific things along the way, like my chiropractor recommended a book called The Surrender Experiment. And I read that and there there were some really powerful things there. And I was journaling the affirmations from this book, like things that just really stood out to me and so i started to change my emotional state and then that's when my body started to heal so if we think about the mind you know body connection this is where I'm going to you know, kind of go a little bit woo here. We have an energy field that surrounds our body, and our body is actually part of our energy system as well. We have chakras, if anyone has ever heard of those. They're spinning wheels of energy in your body. And so when you are having stored and stuck emotions or past experiences, part of them are embedded in your body and so you can release a lot of old trapped junk basically through somatic experiencing and that just means body-based experiencing and that's why meditation can be really powerful because it's sort of bringing you into your breath and into your body and there was other things that i was doing along the way to heal myself i was getting regular massages as an example and i remember i went to go get this massage and you know i'm laying face down and my nose just started completely running. I mean, like a faucet. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Like I have to blow my nose. It was like dripping on the floor. And she's like, yeah, that's pretty normal. You're storing a lot of toxins. And there was also like emotional release that was coming through the massage that was basically like pouring out of my body because I was so sick. As an anxiety coach, I can tell you, I have so many people who come to me have anxiety-related body-based issues. Their chest, for example, I've had two clients who have gone to the ER because they thought they were having a heart attack. They weren't. There's nothing wrong with them. It was the stress response in their body that was causing that. There's a very, very high number of people that go to the ER every year for chest pain. It has nothing to do with like cardiopulmonary issues, right? It's their actual body problems. So I guess the takeaway is people understanding we're not just our mind and we're not just our body. They're very much intertwined.
1: You've also spoken about how your high anxiety had an effect on your relationships in your life, you know, particularly with your daughters. And as a mother, that resonated with me. I recall an experience just screaming at my sons one morning when they were very young because their little legs wouldn't move fast enough for me. And, you know, I just looked through the car window and I, I saw my son and he was heartbroken and I saw the weight of my behavior really on his on his spirit what was a pivotal moment for you? And your anxiety obviously was out of your control, but how can people recognize that and realize that they need to change? And because as women, we're we're compelled to carry guilt. And do you have to forgive yourself? Is
2: self-forgiveness a part of your wellness journey? Absolutely. You know, I mean, when you you and I have that in common of me screaming at my daughters when they were little. And I mean, of course it's over stupid stuff, right? It's like always over stupid stuff. I remember my, my younger daughter would have had this thing for months where she would just try on outfits and not like them. And so she would just take the clothes that she tried on and put them in the hamper. They weren't dirty. Right. And so she would just like basically be taking half of her closet out and putting it in her hamper. And she kept doing it over and over and I remember there was this one time, I mean, I just flipped out. I was screaming at her because I was so frustrated because she kept doing it. And I just remember I made her cry. I mean, she's just totally crying. And that was common. I, I mean, I was screaming at them so much that they would cry all the time. they were in elementary school and I would feel so awful after I did it. I mean, so awful. And I'd be like, oh, my gosh, I'm never going to do that again. And then I would do it again. I mean, sometimes it wouldn't be for weeks, but sometimes it'd be two days. And it's almost like, you know, I guess probably what an addict feels like, like, oh, I'm never going to do that again. And then there you just catch yourself doing it and not being able to stop. And so for me, I mean, it was my illness. That was my wake up call. I had nowhere else to go. I mean, I was, it took me a year and a half, by the way, to fully heal. It's a long time, especially if I told you everything that I was doing along the way. I mean, there were some times I thought, God, is am, am I ever going to be okay? I was doing so many things. And so there is that bottom point for people, right? Whether it's the screaming at your kids or you getting really sick, there has to be a point where people get and say, you know what, I'm not living like this anymore. Like I can't do this. This can't be the rest of my life. And I wish that people wouldn't get to that point because a lot of times when I work with people that they're at that point, I wish people would, you know, recognize that they could do something a lot sooner, but whatever it is that somebody is going through related to, I mean, any mental, any mental state, but you know, with anxiety, they have to get to a point where they're really question, like, wait a minute, is this really my life? I mean, I'm 47 now. And when all of this was happening, I was 39 and, and then 40. So I tipped over like if somebody who, however old you are, is this the rest of your life? Like, do you want to live 30 or 40 more years like that? I mean, I look back like, oh man, I wish I had done something sooner, but you know, life is its journey and its path.
1: Another cornerstone of your expertise is centered on the imposter syndrome. And the first time I heard the term was last year. So it may be new to some of our listeners as well. But as soon as I heard it, like you, it resonated with me immediately. And I began to do research on it. And I knew you know, it was written about me. (laughs) All kidding aside, I now know how to employ strategies to mitigate the impact of imposter syndrome in my life. For me, it manifested itself as a feeling of being less than, and it actually wasn't until the last time we spoke that you turned that perception around for me. And when you begin to characterize it as people who are perfectionists and high achievers and goal oriented, it flipped a switch in my mind uh, because I began to look at myself in, in, in an entirely different light. So, So thank you for that. I mean, have you had similar experiences with other clients? Is it common for one moment to be the spark that ignites a personal awakening in someone?
2: If you think about it as like a Venn diagram, everyone with high functioning anxiety doesn't have imposter syndrome and everyone with imposter syndrome doesn't have high functioning anxiety, but there really is an overlap because to have either one of those, what the underlying commonality is, is perfectionism. And so that's why I was struggling with both of them is because I was a perfectionist, right? And so in terms of imposter syndrome, how it shows up in people's lives can be different. But it is, again, ironically, it's the people who are high achievers and really goal-oriented are the ones who have imposter syndrome. They're the ones who are doing great work, right? They just don't see it. They see, as you said, what they haven't done. And they feel like the things that they are doing are just inferior quality. They'll really compare themselves to others a lot of the time. So it's this you know, internal dialogue and chatter, what I found with my clients is it's really holding them back, most often from their careers, but it can be other things, by the way. Like I had a client. she wanted to be a writer. She works in finance, but she had just this passion for writing fiction. But in her mind, she thought, well, I don't have a degree in writing. She literally thought like, you have to have a degree in writing or you can't be a writer, right? Like nobody's going to take me seriously. So she was like, had this closeted writing thing that she would do. She wrote a book, like a book. She told me how many words it had. I think it was 93,000. And I was like, I don't know. She's like, that's a book. (laughs) Yeah. And she never showed it to anybody, like wrote a whole book and was like, well, I'm not going to show it to anybody. I mean, this is obviously junk, right? Because like, I don't know what I'm doing. And then I've had another person that I talked to, she felt like an imposter around being a parent, like she's pretending to parent her kids because she doesn't know what she's doing, you know, so these things can show up and really hold us back from our full potential because we're doubting so much about our skill set that we just want to keep like pretending and hope nobody's going to find out. We don't really know what we're doing.
1: Is there also a correlation between imposter syndrome, self-sabotage, and avoidance? I think many people deflect their emotional deficits with dysfunctional behaviors, eating too much, exercising, working too much. I know
2: I've done all of those. So how are the three of those intertwined? Yeah, that's such a great question. And you had said this also back at the very beginning about how oftentimes people with imposter syndrome and perfectionism or self-sabotage or they'll procrastinate For me personally, I didn't procrastinate. I tended to, you know, as I mentioned, do everything all the time. and was like a maniac, you know, go, go, go. But I have definitely seen this with a lot of people that when they're struggling with perfectionism or imposter syndrome, the procrastination comes in, right? Because it's like, this is what they're thinking. Well, I can't do that. I can't do it to the level that I think I'm supposed to or should. So I just won't even do it at all. And a lot of the time, if you think about self sabotage, I have sabotaged other things, not like work related things, but it's like I've seen that in romantic relationships where I didn't even understand why I was doing something that was honestly really bitchy. And then I realized later, oh, I was sabotaging that because you think, well, that expression, the other shoe's gonna drop. It's like, oh, well, I mean, if I'm gonna get fired or I'm gonna, or he's gonna break up with me or what, you know, fill in the blank. I'll be the one who's doing the thing over here that ends it because there's some power in that. I mean, this is obviously quite dysfunctional, right? But it's like, if you're thinking, well, this is going to be over, then I'll just do something to make it be over or I'll do something that seemingly like there's more power in it because you're the one doing it as opposed to like coming at you, if that makes sense.
1: It does now in the healing process or in the coaching when you're coaching people on on these subjects do you address them individually or as a whole do they have to be you know lumped together to get through the healing process?
2: That's a great question because there's I guess there's two layers is that people when they're struggling with whatever an issue is they do need actual tangible tools to help them get through the day right that's real because people are not feeling well. They need something, some resources to help them. But to answer your real question, what I'm working on is the underlying reason that somebody feels the way that they feel. So it doesn't have to be addressed directly. So the core reasons that people have anxiety or imposter syndrome, it's subconscious programming. It's energetic, as I mentioned before, energetic or emotional, like old junk that's stored in your body or stored elsewhere, stored in your brain. And so that old patterning shows up in someone's life in a specific way. And in the case for my clients, it's anxiety or an imposter syndrome. And most often people have no idea what it is in their past that led them To behave the way that they do. So I call that big T or little t trauma because sometimes people do know, like, there's some stuff that they have gone through. It's quite obvious to them that they still have, you know, emotional issues from it. But a lot of the time, things that have happened to people, it's very surprising to them when we unearth the experience because from their adult perspective, looking back, It doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but when you're five and something happens to you, your brain is so different when you're five and you're in such a formative state that something that's as an adult doesn't seem like that big of a deal to a five-year-old, it really is. And it shapes the way that we look at the world, the things that we decide about ourselves or others or the way that the world operates And that's how we get stuck in these behavior patterns over and over is because there's this programming in the back. You can just think about it like, you know, glitchy computer program. That's your mind that's running the show. And so to get at healing from whatever it is, anxiety or imposter syndrome, you've got to do the work to heal the root cause.
1: I know you use non-traditional and holistic methodologies in your coaching practice, and many people are intimidated by those. They don't understand that a holistic approach is many-sided, and it's as much a philosophy as a path to health and wellness. Will you explain how you utilize those holistic treatments
2: in your coaching practice? Sure. And I would say that people who are coming to me are ready for something different. A lot of people that I work with have tried therapy or they've tried pharmaceuticals and those haven't worked for them. And so they, you know, just like I gave the example of I'm going to these doctors and they just wanted to put me on antibiotics. And I was like, forget you, my clients, they actually want an alternative approach. And so I do some, you know, practical things with people like very specific writing exercises that are focused on key intentional questions. And I do all sorts of different things with people. So this is just some of the things that I do. I do tapping with them, um, emotional freedom technique. I do aromatherapy. I do guided visualizations and meditations, hypnosis techniques. I do energy work. So I do a lot of different things. And if you kind of think about like the issue as a circle, this is how I always kind of describe it as like, this is the issue. It's a circle. And then there's a bunch of arrows pointing at that circle. It's like, I'm trying to get into the core root problem from a number of different angles, because one thing might work really well with my client and another one that doesn't work as well. But then I'm doing something different with that other client that is really effective for some reason, because everyone's really unique.
1: Now, are there any strategies that the listeners can, who may be struggling with these issues try at home to begin utilizing their own emotional healing?
2: Yeah. One of the main things I would say is this is across the board. Something I see is that the people I work with have really been avoiding their emotions for a really long time. They've just been shoving them down so often that they don't even know what they're feeling. So like if you ask them, what are you feeling right now? They'd be like, I don't know. I like, don't even have a word for it. So the thing I'm about to say sounds easy. It's not. <laughs> so but the first thing to do is when you're feeling uncomfortable or out of sorts or highly anxious, you have to think, okay, what emotions am I feeling right now? Like what am I actually really feeling? And one thing that people can do is look up an emotional vocabulary chart So there's lots of them out there. This is something that's, you know, social, emotional learning for elementary school kids a lot of the time, but it can be used for adults Is a list of emotions. So when someone is really wanting to do the work, they have to think, okay, what am I feeling at any given moment? And so one of those charts can really help. Because then you can look at it and you can be like, oh, I have to find the word for how I'm feeling because emotions are really nuanced, right? You have like, if you think of anger on a scale, you could have like peeved down at the <laughs> low end all the way up to irate, which I would say is probably higher than anger. Find what are you feeling? And then when you discover, well, why am I feeling that way? That's the next thing to look at is like some actual questioning of yourself about like, wait a minute, what's happening? What is the situation that I'm avoiding because it's uncomfortable that made me feel that way? And so there's some detective work that comes into all of this of what am I feeling? What have I been shoving aside and what made me feel that way? And that's a trigger, right? By the way, it's like something happened. And then you felt a certain way. So if you, people start to do some detective work of you know, correlating how they're feeling to what's going on in their life, that can actually give them some really big insights about what's going on that is causing them to feel not good on a consistent basis.
1: You know, wellness methodologies are continuously evolving. How do you continue to learn to stay on top of the modalities in coaching? And who inspires your continued growth?
2: I just let my intuitive way of being and the universe sort of operate, whatever comes my way that I am just interested in, that I hear about. It's like, oh, I'm going to go over here and pursue that. And I, by the way, have a coach myself, and there's a lot of work that I do on my own. So it's like, I just discover things through other people. And I know that I'm always honing my craft, right? You don't just Stop. It's like you don't just learn one thing and then stay with it. So I just kind of let the wind take me wherever it wants to. And I just keep building my skill set primarily through things that I incorporate into my own life from other people that I work with. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. I want to follow this over here because I really loved that. And that's something that if I love it for myself, I would like to do it with my clients as well.
1: So coaching is an up and coming. Profession and what advice would you give to someone pursuing a career in coaching like
2: ours? Oh gosh, that is a great question. Well, just know that your journey in your own life was designed for you to learn from and to heal and grow. And your experience is what you should be coaching people on. I mean, that's how I'm an anxiety coach because I went through this myself. That's why I help people with imposter syndrome because I went through it myself. And that's why a lot of my clients really love to work with me is because they know that I know exactly what they're going through. So if somebody out there is listening and you know, you mentioned, Joanne, that you've had health issues, right? I know health coaches and that's why is because they had some serious health issues. I know someone who is an intuitive eating coach because she was overweight for years and, and was shoving down her emotions by eating them. So whatever it is that somebody has grappled with and healed from, that's what you're supposed to coach people on. And if you think about it as wait a minute, this was actually designed for me. This experience that I went through was designed to help other people. It's really empowering because that takes the victim mentality out of it, right? And like shifts into a growth mindset of like, oh, this was all intentional. All of this stuff that happened was also I could help other people. Yeah, that's really empowering, you know, sharing your story.
1: And I think it makes us relatable too. Nobody wants to be coached by someone who's perfect. <laughs> right. not, that, not that that exists. So, so I'm trying to think of a way to keep you here all day, but we're, we're already reached my final question and your guidance and positivity have been instrumental in improving the lives of so many people. What is something simple that anyone can do to make a positive impact on the world?
2: Oh, that is so great. I think it's really pausing and being empathetic and thinking, what is this other person going through? What could they possibly be going through? And that's what I try to help with my two teenage daughters because I'm sure we all remember high school is rough all the time. <laughs> And so it's like that pausing and being like, well, wait, that person did that jerky thing for a reason there. There's something that we don't know about when anybody is hurting on the inside. That's how they, you know, oftentimes are expressing it in the world is they're hurting on the inside. So they do something, you know, outwardly to someone else. And so I'm definitely not, you know, there all of the time. I believe me, every once in a while, I honk at somebody driving <laughs> who's really irked me. But I think that's important is to just step outside of yourself at any moment and be like, well, wait a minute, what's going on in this other person's life?
1: I think that's great advice. So before you go, you know, is there anything else you'd like to share with us? Any, any words of wisdom and insights? And, and please tell the
2: listeners where they can find you and, and reach out to you directly. Gosh, I think that's my insights for right now. Uh, Yeah, so my name is Heather Ryder. It's R-I-D-E-R. And if you search that and the word anxiety, you'll find me in a gazillion places. And my website is theenergysynergist.com.
1: All right, great. I can't thank you enough for being here. It's always a pleasure and an honor. So thanks so
0: much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the JTD Coaches Me podcast. You can find additional resources and information about Joanne at jtdcoachesme.com. Please make sure to subscribe to this podcast for updates and new episodes. You can also follow Joanne on social media under JTD Coaches Me.